the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this planet? Makes your head spin. Hey, everyone. My name is Shane Moran. I'll be the host for this week's episode of Live from the Vault. I uh, just want to remind you before we get started with our call here to hit that like and that share button, subscribe, hit the bell if you want to be notified as these episodes go live. Valuable information as you're about to uh, witness here. So in the comments also, uh, please tell us who you would also like to have most interviewed regarding the physical precious metals market, and we'll do our best to bring them on. And so uh, today's call is going to be exceptional. Uh, We are talking about... Uh, going over to Talking Gold with Andy McGuire, and we've got with us today Craig Hemke, a.k.a. Turd Ferguson. He's the founder and proprietor of the Precious Metals blog. That's at tfmetalsreport.com, and he's also affiliated with Sprott Money. So Turd was a licensed security professional for nearly 20 years before leaving the profession in 2008 to become a serial entrepreneur, and since he's become one of the most popular voices advocating for gold and silver ownership by the average investor. So every month, hundreds of thousands of readers go to TF Metals Report eager for his analysis, and uh, very, very excited to have him here. So uh, today, it is my pleasure to hand it over to Andrew McGuire of Talking Gold and to continue on this interview with the one and only Craig Hemke. Over to you, Andrew. Craig, I, I really want to thank you for this. This is I know you're away. Uh, you've jumped in uh, to an office that isn't even your own. Um, and, and you know what? I just want to say you're being a, such a friend um, and, and not just to me and my family who think the world of you, uh, but also to the entire precious metals community who owes you a great big debt of gratitude. A lot of the work you've done, Craig, is that no one probably sees what goes on behind the scenes there. And and perhaps perhaps we don't even want to see that. But you are a very, very busy, busy guy. And, um, and, and obviously, you've got the support of your family. And I know you are very much of a family man. And and it's just my absolute pleasure just to, to have you here to come to, to grace us with your presence because uh, you are a friend and um, and a very close friend. And funny, just a few minutes ago, we were we were talking about how long have we known each other, Craig? Ten years, Andy. I mean, you go back ten years. I was a young guy. I mean, you were still, you know, but I was a young guy back then. Well, I think over this last, I mean, 10 years, I mean, uh, I can't believe it, but I mean, that's, that's pretty much when you started um, uh, the TF Metal site. I think it was 10 years ago, was it? Yeah, no, it was uh, 2010. And uh, I had, when I first got started, I had heard of this guy, the uh, London trader, London whistleblower, and uh, there was this mythical figure that uh, that I I just I just thought was revered, and I thought, you know, gosh, uh, if I only could get to know that guy. And now here, ten years later, Andy, to be able to consider you a friend um, is really a thrill. And I've and you you're very kind with the words and very generous. Um, 
in your praise of the site, but again, I do, we are all in debt to you because you are one of the originals in uh, in bringing this issue to the forefront. And it is it is truly my pleasure to be here with you today. And I think one of the, the and thank you for that. But one of the things I think that people really get from uh, your service uh, and it is is you've been helping investors to really understand um, this market, very confusing uh, smoke and mirrors market um, and the manipulation, the leverage, and even down onto a granular level. So people kind of get it on a daily basis. And but but I think also I think what is really close to my heart is that very importantly, what you've done is educate people to really how to up this ultimately benefit stackers. So in a sense, to me, what you're doing is you've created the physical spoof. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Andy, that is the mission. Um, my, my site, you know, just to make it economically uh, feasible is a monthly subscription site, but it, it's only $15 a month. So it's not like, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get rich off this deal. It's about education. It's just what you've always been about because there's no, there's no knowledge out there, really. The, the mainstream media doesn't cover the precious metals. They could care less. You know, it's just all about equities and everything else. And so I think a lot of investors, even in the precious metals, think that the price is just simply a dot on a screen or what they see scroll across the bottom of the screen on their favorite news channel. And, and that what goes into the price is, you know, oh, physical supply and demand, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Not understanding that there are these nefarious agents in there that are known as bullion banks that uh, make the markets that are responsible for flowing metal around the planet at the price that is somehow derived through the trading of these unbacked derivative contracts. And the, uh, it's mainly a function of how those banks are acting at the time and where they, maybe they need price for, uh, for orders that they've got to fill or for an expiration of options that they wrote a long time ago that are pending. All these different things that, that you've taught me, frankly, that nobody understands. You know, all the subtleties that go into this. And so that's, that's probably the, the mission of my side. And I know it's been yours, is to make people aware of this because in the end, the more that you're aware of all of these things that go behind, uh, go on behind the scenes of discovering, you know, whatever the price they foist upon you, uh, all of that factors into an understanding of, of how the thing is manipulated and how false the price actually is. And that's the word we've got to, you know, we've spent 10 years trying to get out. Well, and I think with a great deal of success, um, and you have a lot of people that, that religiously come to you, hundreds of thousands of people come to you. Uh, on a, on a monthly basis, and and I think um, I think you know I was I was kind of jesting about the, the the physical spoof because there's nothing illegal about what we're talking about here. We're talking about right, um, right. you and 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 men, many of us all trying to educate people into saying, look, exactly what you just said. Look, this is a paper market, guys. You know, don't you look at that price? It it's not the price. The price is not that price. So so look. Just go out, buy stack, go take 
advantage of a dip. Yeah, we're going to see some market manipulation. We see it on a monthly basis. We see it on every, into every Fed event. We see it, as you so many times have pointed out, when you come to a nice moving average or something and you see some bid pulling going on. I mean, but there, what you've done there is instead of people running for the hills, which is really what the COMEX was Oh, at the very beginning designed for in 1974, it was like, you know, we have 50 years of, of create massive volatility, dilute the price. People will run for the hills. But what you've done is say, no, guys, buy that physical stack. Keep buying the physical stack. We will win this war. And that's exactly what you're doing. Well, in, in it. It's always important to know, Andy, uh, a lot of people hear this idea that uh, price rigging, price manipulation is some sort of conspiracy theory. Uh, it's not. It's historical fact. And anybody willing to actually take the time to educate themselves, like I did, can figure this out. You know, coming out of Bretton Woods in World War II, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold and redeemable for gold. Well, by the late 1950s, this became quite a scandal because the stash of gold that you, the U.S. had when this all began at, at, after Bretton Woods and World War II had been depleted by about a third as the European countries rebuilt and they began trading dollars and then they began to store up dollars in their foreign capital uh, or foreign reserves, capital reserves. They converted it back to gold. Who could blame them? Well, all of a sudden, the U.S. lost about a third of their gold and there was, you know, all this hearings on Capitol Hill is quite the scandal. So then over the next 10 years, the U.S. said, well, we're not going to go it alone in defending <clears throat> the price and supplying the gold. So they worked up what's called the London Gold Pool, where in cooperation with seven other countries, they all pledged physical gold to dump some on the market if price rose, buy some back when price fell back, all to peg the price. That's manipulation right there. They're pegging the price by manipulating it, by supplying metal and withdrawing metal. Well, that worked until it didn't in 1968. So now all of a sudden, everybody's going alone. Nixon has to close the gold window and suspend the convertibility of the dollar in 71. Gold begins to skyrocket. And now all of a sudden, there's a real shortage. And so what do they do? Like you said, in 1974, they kicked up the idea of gold futures, which began trading on January 1, 1975. And it was, we know now from WikiLeaks documents, that gold futures were actually designed to, to make the market volatile not only supply synthetic pretend gold to meet the demand for actual gold, a sort of alchemy, but also to make it volatile enough that regular investors said, ah, oh, to hell with that. I don't want anything to do with that. That, you know, it goes up and down all the time. Uh, that's not what I want. And this alchemy now has been extended to the point, as you've written, to where there are as many as maybe a hundred uh, owners for each physical ounce in the world, because these banks and these mints which we should talk about, some are now getting called to the carpet for their unallocated accounts, have taken one ounce and sold it to 50 different people, sometimes 100. And so what's eventually going to happen, and this is why we, we want so badly for people to acquire physical metal, because every ounce of metal that you buy and remove from the market by storing it yourself or maybe some trusted bullion dealer or something, just get it out of the hands of the banks because every ounce you take away from the banks reduces their ability to further leverage things and kind of tightens the vice on them. And that's, that's the mission. Now, again, that this whole pricing scheme, and it is a scheme, is a fractional reserve scheme, just like your local bank runs. 
And just like a bank run, where everybody shows up at once wanting their deposits back from the bank, we need to inspire a run on these bullion banks where everybody shows up at the same time wanting their physical metal. And at that point, the system collapses. And at that point, price actually resets to a, a value that is representative of how much physical metal there really is, not all this phony baloney, you know, derivative and ETF garbage. Yeah, and I think you just did a great piece. I just saw a great piece you did on Sprott about, uh, I think the subject was when unallocated becomes unavailable. I, I, that got my attention right away. That was a good, that's a really good title. Thank because, you. Yeah, because that actually, that is that is a very, that, that I mean, people don't think of unallocated becoming unavailable. I mean, I think what you know what you what you did in that piece was also, and also you highlighted what I liked in that piece as well. You brought you, you brought some things in like um, like we're talking about. You, you mentioned Michael Nowak. Now, mm -hmm. anyone who doubts that this market is manipulated, even though despite the DOJ calling J.P. Morgan a um, a criminal uh, enterprise or organization, et cetera, et cetera. And, and and people still coming out and saying, yeah, but that's nothing. That's just spoofing. Hey, just spoofing. I mean, I mean, anyway. But but what 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 you rightly point out, this goes right to the top of the pile, and actually refer and actually leads right into evidence that we gave. This is another amazing thing to me. This we named this guy um, in in two thousand and ten to the DOJ and the CFTC. This it's okay to talk about it now. We couldn't talk about it at the time, but it's clear now. And so this guy sat, as you rightly put, on he was the head of global precious metals trading for JP Morgan, sitting on the board of directors of the LBMA. What was he actually doing? He was actually he was actually on the fixed price. He was setting the global fixed price of gold and silver. Now I mean, does it get, I mean, can you even have a better grip on a lever than to, and this kind of leads into what we were saying at the time where we, we it's no secret that we gave 88 examples to the CFTC and the DOJ of where the gold price would fix in the next 24 hours. This guy was sitting on the actual fix and these prices were came in later so what, what amazes me is that it's it's such light this is should guy should be in jail i mean this is such a light treatment for uh, and now you mentioned something the other day and it caught my attention that isn't he actually now represented by a legal firm that was actually uh, one of the cftc uh, commissioners was actually on so tell us about that Andy, this is, this, you know, this is just, it's not just the precious metals, right? I mean, the corruption in the U.S. and really, I mean, not just the U.S., around the world is now so rampant that, and so bald-faced that it's like, eh, yeah, there's more corruption. And it's like, you're just kind of a frog in a pot regarding corruption. There's so much of it now. In a way, it's kind of similar to, you know, people, at least in the U.S., might have seen exposés of how uh, bureaucrats at the FDA who were once in charge of regulating drug big pharma, you know, they get tired of making, you know, 80 grand working for the FDA. So they go to some law firm, start pulling down 800 grand and representing big pharma, 
you know, in legal cases and in trying to get their products through and stuff like that. It's just unholy. Oh, it's just a, an ugly bastardization of how that whole process should work. Well, that's what I wrote about. I remember I first wrote about this about a year and a half ago in a post I called abject corruption because this just shows you how corrupt this is. Many people are like, well, the CFTC, you'd think they'd do something about this. No, they are simply unindicted co-conspirators co working hand in glove with the banks, just like you said, NOAC at JP Morgan working hand in glove with the LBMA. What happened is uh, he got caught, they got caught for all this manipulation. I think what they, the Department of Justice say, thousands and thousands of evidences of spoofing and manipulation. So on a daily basis, well, you knew this and I knew this and you wrote all of this up and submitted it through your old friend Bart Chilton to the CFTC because they were allegedly working on uh, an investigation into silver manipulation between 2008 and 2013. And as you and I both know, they did nothing. The lead investigator in that investigation was a guy by the name of David Meister. Now, I, that name stuck with me because I always used to, I used to think of him as Mr. Meister, right? So it's just one of these things that stuck in my brain. Well, when uh, Nowak, Michael Nowak, who was the head of J.P. Morgan's Global Precious Metals Trading and a board member at the LBMA, when he got indicted by the Department of Justice for manipulating the precious metals in September of 19, uh, he immediately sought legal representation. Well, guess what? The guy that had been the lead investigator supposedly investigating manipulation for the CFTC, Mr. Meister, had left the CFTC after the investigation was abruptly closed in 13, found his way to a legal firm in Washington called Skadden and Associates. And when Meister went looking for legal represent representation, who do you think he picked? David Meister of Skadden Associates. I, it is so hopelessly corrupt that really the only thing that can change it is a complete upheaval complete overhaul of the system. Um, and we may be getting there. You mentioned this article I wrote about when unallocated becomes unavailable. And, and there's a lot of uh, fire, it seems now, where there's smoke. The, the folks over at Reddit and all these uh, Wall Street silver folks are adamant and they understand and they are full of it. Unlike old guys like you and I that are like, oh God, we've been doing this for so long, Andy, geez. Um, man, they're full of uh, piss and vinegar, as we call it here in the States, and they're not letting go. They got the bit in their mouth and they're rolling. And it's not just the Perth Mint. I saw some stuff uh, today as we record about ABC Bullion uh, down in Australia. And there are companies and mints around the world that run this unallocated scam. If I, Andy, I, I don't want to, you know, go off on this long rant monologue, but may I take a second and just kind of give a real easy example so people understand unallocated? Oh, please, Craig, go ahead. This is exactly right. why we're here. I wrote this up today, uh, a post at my site, TF Metals Report. And it's a public post, so anybody can go there and find it. And I think the title was just simply uh, unallocated. Okay, so it's real easy to find. You can find it on Twitter now, I'm sure, as well. The example, and I wrote up this example. I've always just kind of verbally given this example in interviews, but all of a sudden it's pertinent. So I thought I'd write this up so that people could really understand. And the best, when it, and over the last 12 years that I've been doing this, this subject of unallocated and leveraged metal has come up countless times, you know, in all the podcasts you and I have done, Andy. The best way that I can explain it so that people understand what I'm talking about is this. You know, you, you own metal in 
in uh, Perth or Montreal or Zurich or whatever. And you do so in an unallocated form because, you know, you don't want to take delivery. You know, there's some risk of having it stored in your vault, you know, and then you got you feel like you got to insure it. And if you have some other company store it for you, uh, then you got to pay them to store it. And uh, yeah, that's a negative carry cost and all these things. And so you think, okay, look, I, I'll do this unallocated thing because the company tells me I can always get my hands on it whenever I want it. And, uh, I, and their fees are greatly reduced. Great, perfect, I'll do it. But what you don't understand is that means you don't actually own it. And if you show up demanding it, they're going to say, okay, sign here and we'll get it to you in 60 or 90 days. Well, what if you don't want to play that game? And think about it to its logical conclusion. Here's the story I always use. <clears throat> say you live in New York City or London or some other, you know, real densely populated, high cost of living place. And you own a car because you like having a car. You know, there's times you want to get out of town. Go out to the Hamptons, you know, if you're a wealthy J.P. Morgan trader. Or maybe it's just your insurance policy because, you know, in some Mad Max world like we had last year, you need to get the heck out of Dodge. But the problem is, if you ever try to insure a car living in London or New York City, it's expensive as heck. Then you got to park it, right? That's a solid couple of hundred bucks a month, if at least, to park it. So you don't want the whole car. You just would rather have the right to have a car when you want it. So the car garage, recognizing this is a pretty good deal, buys a car and they sell that car to 50 different people, or at least the privilege of taking it out for a spin to 50, 100 different people in New York City. All of those 100 people think they own a car. They think whenever they need an emergency, they can go down to the garage and pick it up, right? But they don't own a car. They all own the same car. And this is fine. As long as only one person, 100 shows up at a time, the garage just says, yeah, here's the car. May not be the original VIN number from the car you dropped off, but here's a car. Yeah, take it out for a spin. As long as only one person shows up at the same time, then that scheme continues and the garage makes a bunch of money because they're storing an imaginary car. <laughs> Where it all blows up is when word gets out, there's really only one car. And when somebody shows up and they're told, well, I know there's an emergency going on. It's Mad Max here in New York City and you got to get out of Dodge, but sign this paper and we'll get you a car within 60 days. What? Wait a second. It says right here, I own a car. No, sorry. It also says in the fine print, we can get you a car in 60, 90 days if you ever need one. Well, then word starts to spread, right? And everybody else that thinks they own the car, they all show up at the garage wanting that car. Well, now the only person that's getting the car is the first person that showed up and demanded it. It ain't coming back. The other 99 people are out of luck, right? The garage operators hightail it out of town. Doors are locked. That's what an unallocated account is. And if you want to get your metal that you think you own, you better be first in line to get it. And there are hints right now that it's becoming a real problem. Well said, Craig, well said. And I think it's important people understand it in, in that kind of, you know, because we get this smoke and mirrors world and, and we, we all have our own terminology. That is a really good, that's a really good way of putting it. And I think the, the other thing that I, that I would suggest is that now there's a couple of issues that happen when, when there's a sudden, um, when there's a sudden run on unallocated gold. And believe me, we're all doing our work here. I mean, I even know of pension fund who's still sitting on a very large unallocated uh, amount of gold. I won't even say the amount, but it's millions. 
and they still haven't converted that into physical. Now, obviously, there's two things that go on here. If and when they decide, and I believe they are looking at this now, because now that we've had all these cases come up and, you know, they're beginning to realize it's not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy fact. But what they're not worried about that. What they're saying is, yes, but hang on a minute. But really, is the price, is our, is our portfolio priced correctly? I mean, so if, and we, oh, and we can be cash settled. And so obviously we try and get under the skin a bit and say, well, yeah, you can. And, and at what price? And how would this, when it is revalued and when, when everyone comes for their hundred uh, ounces and there's only one, um, then obviously what's going to happen at that point there is that they'll just say, what they'll do is that they run the game, right? So what they will do is they'll simply say, well, look, here's what the price was before you walked in, before the 99 people following you walked in. Um, so look, here, here's, you, you can have the cash. Thank you very much. And, and so everyone gets paid their cash. But what does that say to the rest of the world? My God, what is the real price? So suddenly the offer to sell anything evaporates. And we don't even know what that price that's about to emerge will be. But I think there's two things that go on in my mind here. So I would suggest to people, look, don't wait your 90, 120 days, 180 days. And, and believe me, that's what large orders of silver are now commanding on a wholesale basis if you want them from a refinery in large size. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about obviously when we try and take a wholesale bar and turn it into kilo bars, we're talking 180 days more. So, so re really what I would suggest is just ask for the cash right now before 99 other people come in and ask for the cash. Then go out immediately on the same hour of the same minute of the same day and immediately you can click a mouse. You can buy, you can buy physical gold in multiple ways. You can turn up at, at, at uh, from everyone from Sprott, Kinesis, you can go anywhere. You can buy physical gold and silver with that cash and know it's real. Now, that is the reverse spoof. That is it. And, and so this paper price, but when, it, when, when people do that in, in mass, en masse, expect the price of paper gold to fall a little bit as, as these crooks suddenly unwind these unallocated contracts, which obviously has a bit of an effect on the price initially, but ultimately watch them scramble to cover themselves. Right. Well, and Andy, we've, we've, we've seen moments like this before where the price gets bifurcated. And uh, even if they if they go down that route and start uh, trying to press price lower, if physical demand remains, then the premiums to actually get your hands on it are only going to grow. And so right now we got silver what twenty five dollars an ounce trading on the Comex. I saw an I can't remember what the dealer was yesterday it was running a sale a sale thirty four dollars an ounce. So again, what is it? Is it 25 like Bloomberg tells you, or is it 34? Well, it's 34, obviously. If you can't buy it, if you can't get your hands on it at 25, it's not 25, it's 34. And where that works against the banks is you get that, that bifurcation of price because people go, wait a second, what's going on here? It says 25, 34, and then 36 and 38, you know, whatever. And that 
in itself is a threat to the banks and their pricing scheme because it, it drives recognition of what a scam it is. We saw it back last March. You know, the paper price in that kind of liquidity event we had with COVID went to 12. But yet you couldn't buy it at 12. It was 24, 25. The demand remained and finally, eventually, price had to catch back up. It kind of met in the middle before price then exploded from 20 to 30. And that's the kind of thing we want to see now. We want to see enough demand continue. I mean, we're making real progress and putting real stress on the system. But if people throw up their hands because they see the paper price going down, or if they just get distracted by the next blinking light, you know, of Tesla, you know, or whatever, um, then the, evap the physical demand evaporates and the banks uh, dodge a bullet again. But man, if we can keep up that pressure, keep demanding physical delivery, the stress gets to the point where things start moving pretty quick. And that's how it always works, right? I mean, things go parabolic, but they, it starts out slow. That's what gives it a parabolic look. You start out like this, and then all of a sudden it goes up because everybody catches on at once. Um, and that's what we need. That's what will happen in this event too. And finally, Andy, to what your point is, I know people have asked you this, geez, at least as much as they've asked me over the last 10 or 12 years, what's the fair price then? What is the actual price? And my answer is always, hell, I don't know. How would I know? Because price as it's quoted is uh, a dollars per ounce, right? Well, we don't know how many ounces there are. I mean, if you don't know the denominator, how can you know the price? And when we get back to some kind of physical based system, we have no idea how many ounces with clear title, provenance, you know, and all the rest are out there. And so until we know how many actual ounces are out there backing up this fraudulent system, it's impossible to know what the price is, you know, will be what it will be once we kind of finally change the system. It's just, you just can't know. And absolutely right. And that's why I think what's so exciting, <clears throat> this is history, as you say, we're actually at a historic point. We will be looking in the rearview mirror at this year um, in the future, and er historians will look on this. And I think this organic awakening of that it's really helpful. I mean, I've seen you support the Wall Street guys, uh, the, this, the, the Silver Squeeze guys. Where, where look, we're all, every single one of us should be supporting this movement because, as you say, what's the price now? If you're an average guy, right? And we get hooked up. Look, we make the mistake of we get hooked up. We watch a ten-minute chart. We're looking at the price, and you know, we work out, oh, yeah, what's the wholesale price? But what you know, look at this divergence. No, these guys are saying, I want to stack some silver. They don't look at the wholesale price. It's costing me thirty-five bucks. I'll pay thirty-five bucks, and it's like the price to them is what it costs to get it from a dealer, and and so under that is all smoke and mirrors. And enough of these guys, what, there's something like nine and a half million potential Reddit guys out there. As this, as this organic awakening comes, and we've never had this before, because the Hunt brothers, forget it, they borrowed money from the casino, they got nailed. This is a move against physical, into physical, that is fully funded. It's nothing to do with the COMEX. These guys are just looking at stacking. And ultimately, if enough people want it at 35, then the dealers will go to the COMEX. They will go to the COMEX and they will buy it at 25 and they will sell it. They will melt it into smaller bars and they'll sell it. And 
slowly, organically, this thing. This is what gives me so much courage at this point. We are seeing such a change. And I noticed that I know you did a great interview on Wall Street Silver as well. Yeah, you know, it. I, I really love what those guys are doing over there. Guys and gals, I should say. And they're dedicated. They they smell a scam. when They know a scam when they see it. And they're on it. You know, and, and if the worst case scenario is, let's just say it doesn't work this time, you know, and it, it's going to take another couple years or something before us to reach that point. I don't know, you know, whenever it's going to come. If the worst case scenario here is you're taking some of your dollar reserves, your savings, and converting it into physical precious metal. So rather than have this constantly devalued paper currency, and it's not just dollars, obviously, it's pounds and euros and, and yen and the rest. If you're taking some of that, taking $2,500, well, I guess we say $3,400, and buying yourself 100 ounces of silver, if that's the worst thing that happens to you in this deal, you know, we don't break the banks this time, but at least you've got yourself 100 ounces of silver and you've moved some money out of the dollar-based system, more power to you. I mean, that's a win-win all the way across the board. And so, we, you know, it's very important to keep up the pressure. It's very important to understand all of the different ways that these banks have created to try to uh, dilute demand for physical metal. Not, it's not just the futures contracts, but like we said, the unallocated accounts. It's these ETFs. You know, you see uh, the GLD suddenly takes delivery of 12 metric tons. And you're like, wait a second. How could the inventory have gone up 12 metric tons in a day? Were they driving, you know, Brinks trucks around around London? No, man. They, they just took a delivery of a future promissory note to deliver at some point in the future. And if the demand for GLD dries up, then they just take that promissory note and they go, toss it aside. Never had to take the delivery. I mean, it's all, it's all part of this massive fraudulent and really what it is a fractional reserve scam. Now, again, I, and I can't emphasize this enough. These fractional reserve things, they work and they're very profitable for banks. I mean, you can think of your own local bank where you've got your checking and your savings account. If they've got $100 million in deposits, they don't keep the whole $100 million in the vault, right? I mean, they loan out $90 million or maybe $95 or even in the age of COVID, the full $100 million. But they keep some cash on hand for what they call demand deposits where, you know, Andy, you and I decide we're going to Monaco for the weekend. And we're going to tear it up playing roulette. And I need $10,000 in cash in my pocket just to get in the door. I go down to my bank and I want 10,000 cash. Well, they got 10,000 cash, sure. But if, you know, we're going to take a thousand of our closest friends with us and we all show up wanting $10,000 in cash, they don't have that in the vault, okay? They have to go get it. That's a fractional reserve banking system. What we're talking about here is fractional reserve bullion banking. And it's the same thing. As long as one person shows up in Perth, you know, warrant ABC Bullion or Perth Men or wherever, wanting their medal, okay, fine. But if everybody else shows up at once, you got a bank run. Just like, you know, we've seen, in, you know, back in the Depression era. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to force. And, and I, you know, that kind of, that kind of brings us on to kind of on the subject of bail-ins. Because ultimately, if, if, you can't, if you can't balance the books and you have... Um, 
I think what, what it's important to say, if you think, if people think bail-ins aren't upon us, they are active and they're in force today. And, and, and apart from the, the rules and regulations that allow every single central bank to do that, whether you're in Europe, America, it doesn't matter what country you, you're in, you're, there is an ability, there is a, something legislated that they can actually seize your deposits. Now, this is already going on. And I don't think most people, because we've, we've got a lot of um, exposure to Switzerland, and we have a lot of very wealthy clients in the billionaire range. And what it, you know what, unless you've got a good lawyer, you go to a Swiss bank and try and, where you've got three quarters of a percent of negative interest rates, you go to a Swiss bank and you ask for your cash out because it'd be a hell of a lot cheaper to take all your physical cash, put it in a bloody wheelbarrow and take it and put it in, in, in a much cheaper storage in an in a insured vault somewhere else. You can't do it. You are limited, unless you've got a good lawyer, to 200,000 Swiss francs. Now, if you're a billionaire, that's like pocket change. Now, furthermore, furthermore, and we have absolute evidence of this through clients, who have gone to Switzerland and we've said, go and challenge them to get your physical bullion out. Now, in many cases, this bullion has been put in um, 20, 30 years ago, over the years, it been put into these banks. All of a sudden, in, I think it was 2003, uh, maybe 2002, but 2003, suddenly all the paperwork changed. We're no longer, <laughs> You don't any longer have an allocated bar number on your on your holdings. So we said, hey, this is weird. Go and ask for your physical bars. These bars that you have you had had, you once upon had serial numbers for. So they go down and in every instance, at least three people we sent down, they were told, sorry, no, you can't, no, 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 you're restricted to two hundred thousand Swiss franc. Uh, maybe 300,000 if, you, if you've got a good lawyer. Uh, and that includes gold because, and people who don't call it a first year asset, of course it's a first year asset. They, they see it as cash. So, so basically you can no longer get your gold out because they've got hold of it. And what have they done with this gold? Well, it's suddenly there's no serial number anymore. You can't get your own gold back. We have bail-ins guys, and these are upon us now. So just want to let everyone know if you think it's not happening or it's not and, and it could happen tomorrow, please take a look at take a look at Cyprus, take a look at but also take a look at Switzerland, because if it's happening there, it's going to happen everywhere. And, and again, just Andy, back to that same line, you do not want to be last in line. You know, you don't want to be holder number 91. OK, <laughs> the music's going to stop. And you're going to need a place to sit and uh, you got to sit pretty fast. Yeah, again, I don't know. Maybe it'll be fine. You know, maybe we'll just sail along here and uh, the price of uh, gold will rise regardless and silver too because of the stagflation and the negative real interest rates and the yield curve control that central banks, including the Fed, are going to have to apply eventually as a way of inflating away all this new debt. I mean, that's a recipe to make the price go up anyway, and maybe that allows people to become complacent, you know, and oh, I don't have to worry about it. Look, gold's going up. I'm not going to worry about it for now, and everything will be fine, for at least for now. But man, why would you want to take that chance? You know, when you've got Kinesis, and you've got great bullion companies, and you've got all these other options, why deal with these banks 
running this this scam. I, I just don't understand it. I and again, it gets back, I guess, a little bit to what we talked about earlier, is that people just don't understand as well as they should or could how this market operates and how price is discovered and who the actors are behind the discovery of price and why they do what they do and how long it's been in place and who sponsored it originally and the history of all this. I mean, you got to take some time to learn this stuff. Uh, and then once you do, oh, geez, you know, your eyes are open and you become a grizzled old veteran like you and I, <laughs> because you can't, you get the bit in your mouth and you can't let it go. <laughs> well, you know what, if we, if we start looking inside or listen, listen to that gearbox, the, the Comex gearbox, uh, there's, there's something rattling around in there. And I think what's interesting is all the things we've talked about, <clears throat> people are becoming aware. And, and so I, I saw you tweeted something the other day and, and I thought, oh, I hadn't noticed that. You now have what, and, and, and I'll fast forward to now because I'll lead to what you were, you, you were pointing at, uh, attention to. There's only five trading sessions now for the March contract to expire. And I looked this morning and there was 94, over 9,400, there was more than 29 tons of gold standing for delivery in the March contract. But, but Craig, what, what, then, then I thought, oh, let me, let's have a look at silver. Holy smokes. I mean, we are talking, uh, and bear in mind that silver is basically, um, uh, it, it, the largest delivery month was what, December. We're already nearly 300 tons larger for deliver, standing for delivery than in the biggest delivery month of the year when the average, average for January, February, the average was 300, 300 tons. We're now talking thousands of tons coming out. This is huge. This is to do with people being educated, to do with the Wall Street guys, to do with all the things we're talking about. This is, so tell us a bit more I and mean, what drew your attention well, to that? Uh, Andy, this kind of gets back to what we discussed earlier, you know, about the banks trying to maintain the system, you know, and how the bifurcation of price is a threat to it, right? Well, uh, they have to defend the COMEX price. They have to make that seem as legitimate as possible. And you and I have been following for years the abuse of what's called the exchange for physical process, which is this arcane thing built into futures contracts that allows you to swap out your contract kind of off exchange into physical metal. And the COMEX will allow you to do it even into shares of the GLD. And what the banks were doing in increasing numbers the last couple of years was abusing this process, as I understand it, to arbitrage the difference between the futures price and the spot price. Well, when everything blew up last March, and you think of, you know, this liquidity crisis, the market's melting down, Fed having to introduce all these, you know, these uh, temporary facilities and QE to infinity and all this other jazz, the COMEX damn near blew up as well at least the re relationship between the futures price and the, and the spot price. And we had, and I know you know this, Andy, backward, or I'm sorry, contango between the spot price and the futures price that reached to almost to $100, where the futures price was whatever it was, $1,800 an ounce, but the spot price was $1,700. Now you would think, well, why, why would you arbitrage that, right? 
you buy it spot, you sell a future contract to deliver it a month from now or a couple of weeks from now, and that, that gap closes naturally, but it didn't. It stayed wide and stayed wide for months. Not at that level, but at, you know, 20, 30, 15 dollars, whatever. And what that told you was a crisis, the COMEX had broken and there was a crisis of confidence because people weren't believing that if they bought now with a promise to deliver a couple weeks from now, that they would get the metal in time to deliver. And then they themselves would be in default. And so you had that, that's why that ARB didn't close. That gap between futures and spot didn't close. So the, the COMEX and the LBMA took all these unusual steps last March. And anybody can Google this stuff and read about it. I wrote about it a lot and talked to you about it a lot back then. And they developed these brand new contracts, you know, and, and amended the current contracts so that you could actually deliver fraction, deliver fractional ownership of a London bar. So rather than a hundred ounce COMEX bar, you'd get delivery saying, well, here's a 25% ownership of a 400 ounce bar that's in London. What? No, that's, huh? But they had to take all these steps including flying all this metal into the COMEX vaults. And the COMEX vaults used to have 8 million ounces in them. And now they've got like 25 million. All of these steps to shore up the COMEX with physical metal so that you could access physical metal there to legitimize the price that's discovered there. Okay, because if you can't deliver metal at that price, then what the hell are you discovering? You might as well be trading baseball cards. So these all these changes have taken place in the last year. And because of that, getting back to your original question, Andy, the delivery demands on COMEX have soared. Where we used to do maybe 10,000 contracts, maybe, in a delivery month of COMEX gold, right? That's a million ounces. Suddenly in June of last year, we did 50,000 contracts for 5 million ounces. And that continued into every delivery month, which is every other calendar month, where we did 31,000 something in December and 36,000 this most recent in February. Well, now here's the interesting thing, as you mentioned, March, this current month we're in, it's not a delivery month. The, the current front month for trading purposes of volume and for delivery is April, okay? And that April contract actually goes off the board uh, a week, for, or actually it's coming Tuesday, the 30th, five days. All the while though, the March contract, which nobody uses, nobody ever traded, there's no volume in it, there never has really been any volume in it, hardly any open interest, has been going off the board and in its own delivery. In the past, let me lay these numbers on you, Andy, because I had to memorize them for a post I wrote a couple weeks ago. The last, last March, when all this crazy stuff was happening, COMEX actually delivered something like 2,900 March contracts, which was extraordinary because in the previous five Marches, 2015 to 2019, the total amount of deliveries for the five previous Marches combined had been like 837, okay? So the average March was a couple of hundred contracts. And then it spiked to 2000 last year in the craziness. And as you said, we're doing, we're going to come in almost 10,000 this month, this March. So if you, if you take 2019 out of the picture and use those previous five years as kind of just quiet, normal, you know, everybody's happy with COMEX trading. March deliveries this month are about 25 times the average. And so now we're going to roll into silver. The March silver was a front month. 
Uh, it's it's about 11,000 contracts delivered for 55 million ounces because it's 5,000 ounces per contract. Um, it, we'll just see. We'll see if this trickles through, if Comex is used as a delivery vehicle, continued to be. It's putting great stress on those banks there. And that's all part of what we're trying to accomplish. And I think one, one of the, the beauty of this is, <clears throat> is that, as we say, this, and it's good to, to step back back in history and, and see this in 1974. This was this contract was was, and, and then also the silver contract followed. But <clears throat> essentially, what what they've done is shoot themselves in the foot because with this sudden attack on physical, which is everything we've just talked about, it it, it, it it's an upsurge. It's a natural. It's a uh, it's an organic sudden growth for people wanting physical because there's too much evidence out there too many people waking up to this now what happened to cause this issue was them them shooting themselves in the foot because look you've got it's such a paper market physical in that in that casino the doors are shut there's no nothing happens outside in the real world you're in this casino and unfortunately a lot of americans uh, were banned from trading the over-the-counter markets, uh, where, by the way, there are no halts in, in market halts at all. We have the same market makers trading in the over-the-counter markets, but the average American citizen uh, or even investor cannot trade anything but the COMEX. So now you're inside this casino. The oxygen's being pumped in. The doors are shut. There's no mirrors. It's that you're in there, right? So what happens is, is people who have lost sight of the physical market then suddenly you've got, I'll tell you what, let's connect an algo to the dollar. Let's connect an algo to oh, bond yields. Um, oh, hang on a minute. We need to sell. So sell, 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 sell. Now, what did we see on the other side? Backwardations. We actually saw at one point a $5.90 backwardation, i.e. the spot... The spot price was trading $5.90 higher than the futures price. Now, what does that do? Immediately, this, there are smart people out there. They're saying, crazy, I'll take that. Thank you. And we saw our Swiss, our Swiss trading banks jump on it. Uh, we know that there's several other banks that, that jumped on this trade. Why wouldn't you? Because you've got, you got, good, you've got money. You've got the resources to do it. So and you stand there and say, well, thank you. I'll take delivery of that because it costs me roughly two bucks. If I'm in, in Switzerland, it needs about a two dollar uh, backwardation for me to be able to justify taking it off the Comex at 50 cents an ounce, uh, adding tr transportation costs. Uh, fr the friction of that is about two bucks, buck 80 to two bucks, five dollars and 90 cents. Thank you very much. Give it to me. And guess what? And as you just said, yes, the illusion of this physical is there. So what will happen is there'll be a lot of warrant shuffling as per usual. But these guys are actually in there to take delivery. And we talked a little while ago in November was the last time we saw this form of arbitrage opportunity. I, I just happened to call it the catch 22 arbitrage trade. Now, in, in silver, caused an $8 uh, spike uh, directly after the de delivery demands in silver. In gold, we saw another spike higher. And what it is, is that 
they don't have the physical to deliver. And we know that in November, two of our Swiss banks friends were given $40 an ounce to not take delivery. You can't do that. It must have cost, we reckon that was a close to 10 tons between them holding that, those physical. That is $12 million at the time that it cost the, the casino. Casino's not there to lose money. And yet they're caught in a catch 22 because you don't want to deliver the physical. No way. And silver? Who the hell is going to deliver silver at 25 bucks, 26 bucks? They know it's worth 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks more. So this is an interesting dynamic. We're seeing, that's why I said, you know, you could look at the gearbox. You can hear it rattling. Something is broken in there. And really, guys, I think what we're saying is both, both Craig and I are saying, buy physical and you cannot lose. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, these banks are attempting to walk a very fine line of managing the price versus their short positions, but trying to deliver uh, an evaporating physical metal at that price without causing the price to go higher and squeezing the vice even tighter on their short positions. And it's a, it's a very ch steep challenge that they have. And I know they're, they've got to be appreciative of that. And that's why, and again, you see that more maybe desperation then in the price movements, even just yesterday, Andy, I mean, out of the blue, 905 Eastern silver falls 60 cents in 10 minutes, you know, and it's, hmm, how does that, how does that work? Um, <laughs> But it, the, the, the dynamic is definitely against them. They are, they're working off of flow, not stock, and flow is tight. Uh, just some numbers so people understand. Even in the age of COVID, I think the world probably managed to mine about 800 million ounces last year, maybe 850 of silver. With the positions having been pared back some, the banks, the swap dealers, the commercials, whatever you want to call them on COMEX, the biggest eight traders are still net short over 50,000 contracts. That's 250,000 ounces. They are net short. Well, 250,000 ounces is about the retail investment demand on an annual basis for silver. Because you, you crank out 850 to 900 million ounces every year out of the mines. Industrial demand year over year eats up about 525, 550, maybe 575 million ounces. Just eats it up, consumes it, right? And all the electronics and stuff. What's left over is your investment demand, the silver for investment demand. So let's call that 250 million ounces. You know, what did I say the banks are short? About that. So when investment demand eats up all the available silver, and we're on track to blow through 250 million ounces this year, well, then there's none left. And you get things like what we're seeing, not only these bank runs, but what the U.S. Mint isn't going to crank out new eagles for the next 60 days, right? Didn't the Royal Mint just put out something? They're not going to be cranking out any new silver rounds. I mean, there's because there just isn't any. I did an interview with a guy named Josh Fair three weeks ago. Anybody can go to my site and find it. It's a public link. Josh is the CEO of Scottsdale Mint, which is one of the biggest uh, private bullion producers. They make rounds for 45 countries, okay? And he said at the time, his quote, that there was no silver grain in existence in the U.S. at that time. None, none. He could put it in an order, maybe get some in, you know, 
90 days, 30 days, but none in existence. And again, all the, that's how all these pieces fit together. So if we can keep the demand up, keep just buying up all of the physical silver that's not only currently in the stock, but also being mined, really puts these banks in a jam. And that's, that's what we want to do. We want to force them into a short squeeze. We want to force them to cover their shorts at higher and higher prices, eventually get out of the business because they find it unprofitable. And then eventually we're making some progress to finding an actual fair price. Yeah, and 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 the, this is it. We said before, what's the fair price? I think it's interesting. Both of us know John Hathaway. He works with Sprott, and uh, I knew him very well at uh, Tocqueville. Uh, very, very solid guy. This is a guy with pragmatic uh, and uh, very well, very well seasoned. And he reckons um, there's a hundred trillion of, inter of of institutional money under management. So what he's saying is, and he's <laughs> amazed me because I, I I hadn't thought of this recently. If just 1% was to move into gold, that'd be a trillion dollars moving into gold. And if you put that into context, that's what, six years of mine supply. And, and so he's saying, well, hey, well, gold has to be worth five times its current price, which is what, eight, nine thousand. But I mean, I, and I think, you know, that that's interesting because, you know, sometimes we get caught up in a 10 minute chart and we you know lose sight of the big picture but what i thought was really interesting uh, is that you know how foreign central banks uh, value gold um, as we move into basel 3 and basel 4 deadlines in in and starts starts in in june 28th and now um what it does it, it what they're seeking to do is address uh, an a major imbalance basically which is that gold's collateralization of US foreign obligations, which is an important factor that people forget, it's reached absolute historic lows. Now, really, I think this is one of the main objectives because people say, well, yeah, Basel three, Basel four here, but you know, really does a central bank really want a higher price? Yeah, I think one of the main objectives is, in other words, to, uh, to, to protect dollar hegemony. We see this as the primary reason they must allow gold to be revalued higher. And, and so what it really, it's a simple formula. The, the, the current ratio of gold to foreign debts is currently a, what, five or 6%. This should be, and historically has been 20 to 40%. So otherwise, you know, you, you're, you're questioning, the, questioning the dollar. And so really, I, I think the BIS likely expects this ratio to come back to 20 to 40%. So if you just take, use the simple sums of a price today, and you then uh, extrapolate this back to 20 to 40%, you're looking at least six to $12,000 per ounce. And I mean, that's, these are not pie in the sky numbers. And, and so, and silver, I mean, if you just use the same ratio, now, Craig, what are we seeing? 60 something to one. It was 128 to one for, for the, um, I mean, even if you use 60 to one, I mean, that puts silver at 95 to 190 bucks an ounce. So, I mean, really, this is crazy, crazy levels. What an opportunity, guys, out there. And to protect yourself from that, uh, so that you have that metal in your hands, when that happens, because it, it is going to happen, there, there, the system always resets that way. I mean, it, history is replete with examples, you know, going back millennia 
of currency failures, you know, that began as being sound and backed by something and eventually failed as completely unbacked and worthless. You know, whether it's current day Zimbabwe or Venezuela or Weimar Germany or back to the Roman Empire. I mean, that's just how it works. And then everybody loses faith and confidence in that, that currency. And so the only way that faith and confidence is regained is by starting over and backing it with something again. And I mean, this is not, I mean, we're not splitting atoms here, Andy. I mean, this is just how it has always worked. And that's how it'll work again. Now, you bring up an interesting point with these central banks because the central bankers, especially in the U.S., are dreadfully afraid of deflation. I mean, they, they have to have inflation because you have to constantly be growing your economy and your money supply so that you can service all of these existing debts. And now the debts have gotten to be so extraordinarily high that the only way you can even begin to service that debt is by keeping rates low and printing more and more currency and trying to inflate it away. So they're they can't have deflation. They got to have inflation. So all of a sudden, maybe after being the mortal enemies of gold and, you know, the great work of GATA, you know, with um, Chris and Bill, they've laid all this out over decades. But maybe instead of being mortal enemies of gold, they're at least agnostic, if not in favor of higher prices, because if they were to revalue gold higher uh, voluntarily, then, yeah, they'd probably get some of that They'd fight off that deflation they're so worried about. You know, and the thing they, I think they should really be worried about, and you and I have discussed this for years, is whether they're forced to do it involuntarily. Because maybe a country like China, which clearly has at least 10 times the amount of gold than what they officially state, maybe suddenly they are the ones that see some value in offering a sound currency with confidence behind it as a strategic play against the West. And they come out and say, oh, you know what, going forward, uh, we're going to at least partially back the yuan with, uh, you know, some bit of our actual 40,000 tons of reserves that we have. All of a sudden, everybody would want yuan. They'd want nothing to do with dollars and yens and euros. And so that might, that hand might get forced on the West, um, whether they want it or not. All of this, again, Andy, we can talk about this stuff all day, but what it does, I mean, if people need to understand if the central banks of the world are, and in the last couple of years have seen record central bank demand for gold, if they are taking their foreign currency reserves, dollars and euros and yen, and liquidating them and buying gold, don't you think it'd be a good idea for you to do it too? I mean, at least some. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, you know, as I know, we call it the end of the great Keynesian experiment at my, at my TF Metals report site. And that's where this is all headed. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and this is it. I mean, you just nailed it. That That's absolutely it. And um, so, you, you know, I think, I, I mean, you know what? I, I really value your time here. I, Craig, you're gonna, we're going to have to do this some more because we, we only got through a fraction of, of, of kind of where we wanted to go with this. But I mean, look, what, look, I just wanted to ask you because I think some, I've heard no one talking about this, really. We just see, we just saw just following and i don't think the timing is timing is in the least coincidental so scotia exited market making yeah. on the codex yeah. right now funnily enough in at exactly the same time suddenly there's an upping of position limits in silver from 1500 lots to 3000 lots and i my suspicion is this is to shuffle more chips back 
to the casino insiders because Scotia's now gone. So whoever's left needs more to play with. What's your yeah. thoughts? On yeah, that's that? probably right. That's probably right. You know, and, and I've hassled the CFTC on this before because these banks are consistently blowing away the position limits every month. You know, you know, it's 3,000 contracts um, in, uh, which I'm trying to keep them all straight. Three, there was it 3,000 contracts in gold. No, it's 6,000 in gold now, right? They up gold to 6,000 and silver. Yeah, silver. 6,000 in gold, 3,000 in silver. Yeah. So anyway, you'll, you'll get the, yeah, from 1,500 to 3,000. Yeah. So you see the delivery ports yeah. and the, the, the house account, the proprietary account at Goldman Sachs or at Citigroup or JP Morgan will deliver out in the delivery month something way beyond what the stated position limit is. And so I've hassled and, and badgered the CFTC for years and all they ever say is, well, you know, they have a bona fide hedging exemption. And so uh, they can do whatever they want. They can, <laughs> well, if you can sell as many contracts as you want against an alleged, you know, not, not even proven hoard of metal that you claim to have, that gives you monopolistic control over price. And in doing so, you can put on the shorts when price is going up, and then you can raid the price and cover the shorts when price goes back down. And if you got a monopoly, as with any industry, you can make a lot of money. But what Scotiabank has found is you can't make as much money as you used to be able to make. You know, spreads are tighter, you know, and they, people are get, getting, uh, figuring out what a scam this all is. Then you've got the legal troubles like uh, Scotiabank had and Deutsche Bank had and JP Morgan has had. So you got the compliance department breathing down your neck going, what the hell are you doing over here at this desk? And pretty soon it's just not worth it anymore. You know, and, and so that power, that concentration gets into fewer and fewer hands, but that's okay. The fewer hands you have, the easier it is to squeeze them because the pain is more focused. It's not as diverse. So... We're just going to keep up the pressure, my friend. Um, yeah, our dear friend Bart Chilton uh, raised this in 2000. In fact, the whole reason the CFTC, the 2010, March 2010 CFTC meeting was called was because of the concerns of uh, one bank. We all know he, he, he said it in a later stage what the bank was, JP Morgan, holding far too much position of a, of a concentration of a position. I mean, at the time it was 40%. Actually, if you go and connect, and, and if you go back to 2010, 2011, yeah. and you go to the um, Office of the Comptroller Report. Yeah. So if you compare uh, the, uh, the reports from the Office of the Comptroller Report to um, to the Bank Participation Report, uh, to the CO2 Report, you connect the three dots and you'll see that JP Morgan held 98.9% of all derivative gold and silver positions. I mean, this is massive. And, and we even provided this information to, uh, to the courts as ex expert witnesses uh, when they was, and, and of course there was no discovery at the time. And, um, and so really it didn't, uh, it really took years and years and years later um, for that to play out. But, um, hey, you know what? Um, I, I think, you know, thank you. I, I was going to say, Craig, thank you so much for everything you are, what you're doing for uh, everybody. And and, um, and and I really just want to say to people, look, please go and visit Craig's site. 
He's on he's on Sprott too, but you know, Craig, you've got two different services. I think is it two different services you offer at TF Metals? Can you just tell everyone how they can follow this great service well, of yours? Thank you, Andy, and I appreciate all the kind words. And I'm sitting here thinking um, maybe we should do something fun. Occasionally, I'll offer a, a discount code for anybody who wants to join it, just to take some of the sting off of joining. If you want to kick the tires, you mind if I crank one out just for everybody that's been watching? Would that be okay? Go all for right, it. Let's call Please. the uh, let's let's make the code Andy. How's that? All right. So. Um, for my, as I mentioned earlier, my side, it's subscription-based. Um, that keeps the trolls out and keeps the lights on, but it's only $15 per month. You can buy an annual subscription. It's 145 But for a month, it's $15 a month. If you want to sign up, if you want to continue this discussion, if you think there's some value to the, what I do and the guests like Andy I bring on, um, you can come to TF Metals Report, go to the buy yourself a monthly subscription, Again, it's $15 a month. If you type in the coupon code at checkout, coupon code Andy, A-N-D-Y, you'll get half off the first month. So it'll save you a whopping $7.50, right? Which is maybe a pint of brew down at Andy's local pub. Um, you can have, you know, it'll pay for your first pint or, or your lunch one day. But anyway, it'll save you $7.50. If you stick around after that, you know, it'll be $15 a month going forward, but at least give you a chance to come check it all out for 25 cents a day rather than 50. Uh, the site, I provide analysis every morning, podcast every afternoon. I'm on the site all day in between adding comments and thoughts on headlines and charts and all that kind of jazz. The community is global. And there's people not only in the U.S. and Canada, but Australia and England and uh, Switzerland and I mean everywhere that you can think all political stripes, but we all realize we're all in the same boat, right? We're all against the banks. We're all fighting this debt madness. It's, we're all just trying to help each other out. So anyway, Andy, I appreciate all the kind words. It's tfmetalsreport.com, monthly subscription, coupon code Andy, save you $7.50 the first month, and we'll welcome anybody that wants to come join us. Hey, and, and less than a price of, of, uh, of a Starbucks coffee, from Monday to Friday. I say, what is the value, guys? Thank you. I appreciate it. And, that, and that's by design. We, we don't want to price people. I mean, this is, we're trying to help, right? I mean, and, and, and we're trying to help people. So we don't want to price people out. So we want to keep it as affordable as we can. And uh, thank you, Andy. No, that's brilliant. And I want to thank you for coming uh, on the side. Look, Craig, you've got to do this again. Um, I mean, God, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much wealth of knowledge. And, and, it, and when speaking to you, it unlocks all, all little light bulbs keep going off and, and we, we, we go places perhaps that sometimes <laughs> we don't, wouldn't normally go. So, but thank you so much for coming on. And, and, and I really hope you'll come back and visit thank us you, again. Thank you, Andy. Anytime you ask, I'll be more than happy to join you. Well, there you have it. On behalf of the entire Kinesis Worldwide community, thank you, Andrew McGuire, and especially our special guest, Craig Hemke, for this week's historical edition of Live from the Vault. And uh, to learn more about Craig Hemke, as you heard, uh, just visit the TF Metals Report at tfmetalsreport.com. That's tfmetalsreport.com. And uh, we'll insert a link below here in the description and make sure you remember the code is Andy, all right? Now, as you can imagine, the Kinesis community is growing super, super fast, and be sure to help us spread the word about this channel by liking, sharing, and subscribing. If you wanna be notified uh, when these episodes go live, just hit the, 
the click on that bell notification there. And to learn more about Kinesis and the Kinesis monetary system, visit kinesis.money and sign up for your free 12-part video learning series. And with that, we look forward to seeing you next time on Live from the Vault. Bye for now. (laughs) 